What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number nine. Uh, I'm with Joe Markman, the Milfoil King. We're doing a little bit different of an episode. I think this is an awesome story of one of my best friends uh, starting a really quirky little company, so a story of entrepreneurship, but also his business happens to be on what I think is the front lines of climate change um, and just this whole movement towards environmental activism and, and how we deal with the natural environment. So it's, I've, I've watched this business for the past decade go from a tiny little, like you doing it in the summers in high school, to now this company where you employ a bunch of people, have huge projects. So it's been amazing to watch. And I think today I really wanted to bring you guys behind the scenes uh, at a look at this untold success story. And I, I think there's a ton we can learn from entrepreneurial stuff just to, to building a business to all that. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Gally, thanks for uh, you know having me on here and giving us a chance to expose our brand and kind of let people know how important our freshwater environments are. Because realistically, I mean, hey, freshwater is one of the last resources here and we want to make sure it's clean for everybody. Definitely. And so your business, I think, has so much p potential at a high level in just the way people manage their ecosystem, their yard, mm -hmm. their environment. But it all starts out with one business that you're in, which is basically mm -hmm. the milfoil business, right. which is this funny word. I think it's like a type of invasive algae. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically so you guys have been an underwater landscaping business. So I'm curious, could you describe mm -hmm. to us like what is milfoil and like, you know, how did you get started with this, you know, such a quirky little industry? So besides the fact that I have to point out that milfoil is a real real word, I promise, um, I will say the easiest way to describe it is, you know, there's different kinds of seaweed in the ocean, right? There's kelp, other kinds like that, you know, there's different things. But the blanket term for saltwater foliage is seaweed, or at least you know it as seaweed. Another way to think of milfoil is the it's kind of the blanket term for freshwater aquatic foliage. But the big difference is milfoil is, is it's an individual plant or rather a subspecies of plant, but then also it's kind of used to, to kind of cover things that take up your use and enjoyment of the water column. So any plants that grow in the water column that would inhibit your use and enjoyment or would inhibit how the natural environment kind of interacts with itself can be called milfoil. Uh, it's not it's not an algae. It's a it's a plant and it's kind of a, one that grows out of control during the summer. And as we and as as Seattle historically has had a, you know, it's generally gray and cloudy most of the time. Surprise. Um, and as we get more and more sun, milfoil does grow more and more. And so it does become an, an ever-changing problem that kind of does match our uh, global warming kind of trend we're seeing here. So it's kind of a fun business to be in, essentially. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important to note we're here in Seattle, mm -hmm. Washington. This is where we grew up. This mm -hmm. is where we started the business. So, uh, And there's a ton of like Lake Washington's right around here. We have the Puget Sound. A ton of people have waterfront property. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the core problem was you had this invasive <clears throat> species uh, like when did it actually mm -hmm. start becoming a problem and, and like get introduced to the Pacific Northwest? So so start becoming a problem is an, in, it's an interesting question just because it depends who you are and depends what kind of problem you've had. Um, milfoil got introduced into the, uh, into the Seattle area in the 60s. Uh, well, actually, it depends who you ask, but there's a couple different cases of getting introduced and a couple different things. And um, there's some two different kind of uh, funny folk stories that go along with it. One of them uh, one of them, it depends who you ask, but they'll say get introduced after the World's Fair. So in the 19, I think it was 45 or whenever the World's Fair was in uh, Seattle, there was this, they had the world's largest freshwater tank where they had all these species from all over the world, all freshwater species living in this giant tank. And uh, legend has it is after the World's Fair was over, whoever was curating it simply took it and dumped it in the lake. Just dumped all the all the contents into Lake Washington. <laughs> so someone got lazy and didn't think about the consequences of the natural Super environment a hundred years later. Yeah, no way. Surprise. Weird, right? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So that's that's like step one. And then the the other your other urban folklore uh, and 
This one's less of folklore when it comes to lily pads, but there's a couple different kinds of lily pads that are also considered invasive. And the University of Washington in the 70s and 80s were doing a lot of real life experiments on lake bodies with different plants, seeing how they could grow and propagate in the natural environment. And um, let's just say, again, surprise, no one thought about it 40 years later. Wow, that's yeah. epic. Rogue genetic testing, but for underwater plants. Yeah, and I don't even know if it was rogue. <laughs> just, <laughs> intentional. Just, just intentional. To, I mean, hey, they used to dump, uh, you know, the sewages used to all go into Lake Washington, too. So, you know, at some point, one, what one generation thinks is okay, the next definitely does not. So we've got this milfoil mm -hmm. problem. And so how do you go from being a high school student to accept, accepting jobs and actually mm -hmm. getting into this business? Mm -hmm. So uh, a big a big part of this is definitely right place, right right time. Another part of this is definitely just accepting that, you know, hey, um, accepting the fact that you can work underwater. Uh, so I've always been a big scuba diver. And in, in, in high school, I you know, not necessarily, I didn't really want to have a normal summer job. And so I figured out, hey, how do I scuba dive while also getting paid? Uh, and so I had a friend, to be completely honest, it wasn't my idea. I had a friend that, that, that did this, uh, but he didn't make it into a, into a business. He more did it as a, like, hey, my, my parents and my parents' friends will pay me to do this. And then I was like, wow, well, you live in one area. There's a million other areas that have this exact same problem. Why can't I incorporate and go somewhere else and do this? And so that's kind of how it started. Uh, again, that was, that was nine years ago. Wow. And so um, you started doing this on the summer, basically yeah. taking on kind of local jobs in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then how did you grow? Word of mouth? Was it just every summer the same people kept having the same jobs? Because the milfoil comes mm -hmm. back, right? Right, it does. So I, I the first couple years, the first two years, I would say it really was me just banging on doors. Like I was, you know, the whole classic high schooler, hey, but like, for instance, my, my customer demographic is very niche. I know where they live. It's all waterfront properties, so it wasn't exactly very hard to go find the customer. It's like, hey, there they are. Let's go. Let's go see. If, let's go see if they're home. So that's yeah. how it started. But realistically, how it ended up coming down the line, and so it, what's important to note, I, I lived in Colorado for six of these nine years, um, so I really wasn't here the majority of the time. But when I was there over the summers, I essentially had the word milfoil on lock on Google for about six to seven years of that. So if you Googled milfoil, my website came up. It didn't matter if it was four years old and I wasn't even doing this anymore. Wow. My website came up. So when I moved back Do you here, have any idea why yeah. that was? Was your SEO solid just because you were the number one milfoil company in mm -hmm. Seattle? Well, I think it had to do with a couple different things, but I think the main reason is uh, I was first. Mm -hmm. I was the first. I mean- gotcha. First online, early yeah. bird gets the worm to get those happens. keywords, you know. I would love to say I had some like, you know, big strategic plan that was like, hey, this is how <laughs> we're gonna dominate the market. And you know, we do something like that now, but that's not how it happened first. I was literally the, probably the first one to have milfoil as like the, the term. And I also own, own I my business name is really Seattle milfoil, because mm -hmm. that's what, was, what people Googled. But as we grew, people started calling us the milfoil king. And let's just say it's a lot catchier. So that's what we go by now. Yeah. And so, go, so back to that, you <laughs> yeah. were, so you went, you go to Boulder for college mm -hmm. and uh, you keep running the business. It, yep. It's doing well on SEO. And so then you mm -hmm. came back, moved back here after school and decided to kind of take it a little more seriously, expand from there. Well, to be honest, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to get, get, get rid of this business when I first came here. Cause I was like, Hey, I'm in real estate. Uh, that was the, what I studied. I studied mm -hmm. real estate and marketing. Obviously I was in Boulder. So I became a, a lot more environmentally conscious and environmentally sensitive. You could say that the Boulder enigma definitely wore off on me. Um, that being said, when I moved back here, I didn't think so. So I didn't update my website. I had no plans on it, but as I was here, I kept getting these calls and emails and you know, I can't, you know, you can't say no to that. You can't say no to a little extra wow. side money. 
business just kept coming. Kept coming. And then after, you know, one year it kind of came off and the next year I was like, all right, this is really something. So I just kind of kept, you know, um, it's, I will say the fortunate part for, for me and what it was, was that it, it is seasonal. And so because it was a side seasonal company, I had eight months of the year to work on, to build on the back end, to improve it for the next year, kind of set new goals while also having a, a realistic time frame. Because you know, not every not every person wants to work you know two hundred hours a week. That doesn't doesn't always work like that. Yeah, it's and, not sustainable. And so that's the milfoil business is super seasonal, right? So it basically Highly. grows in the summer. So uh-huh. what are we talking like May to September? Exactly, is your sweet spot? R- really, yeah. And I, even early May, sometimes I don't re- recommend. It depends what kind of the client it is and what they're looking for because it's not for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be really careful with this business too, just because there is it is a natural plant. You're dealing with natural environments, so it's like you know you. I, I, I've heard some people, you know, tell some of my clients, you know, unrealistic expectations, and it's just t- difficult to to compete against unreal, unrealistic expectation um, if someone hasn't dealt with milfoil before. Because here's the thing, it's gonna grow back. That's mm-hmm. one guarantee. It's not a closed ecosystem. There are ways to stipend that growth, and as of this year, we now are the only company that I know of that offers completely biodegradable, all-natural bottom barriers that most of the time don't need a permit. Um, there's just not things out there. So really what this, what we're able to do now is provide four to five year solutions, what used to be a one year bandaid. Wow. Um, and so the milfoil, I think this is worth yeah. kind of diving into and breaking okay. down. So the, the, these lakes never had milfoil <sighs> before, right? Or so these lakes never really had milfoil before. They were just like a clear lake where you could swim, but now people are going out to their, their lake front property mm-hmm. or their waterfront property and seeing there's this huge, I've noticed this personally as a yeah. Seattleite, like in some of the public beaches, like you can't swim because there's this algae growing. Yeah. And so then they want to remove that. And then you're basically the company that goes in, uh, you have that, a yeah. team. I was just on the on site with one of your projects. You have a team of like six people or, you know, however many mm-hmm. that go down, they scuba dive underneath and are actually physically removing and harvesting that. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying that instead of that used to be an every year sort of once a summer process, I guess. Yeah. Now the bottom barriers have allowed you guys kind of a new technology, a new system to more sustainably manage that uh, milfoil growth. Right, right. So it's an old tech. It's an old actually Army Corps engineers technique. Um, I do want to break down a couple of things of what you said, just because it's not as simple as they didn't have it. And now they have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there, it is that simple in some places. So the best example is American Lake. It's kind of south of Tacoma. It's actually one of the most beautiful lakes I've ever been in. It's crystal clear. The water is amazing. It feels clean. It's awesome. Uh, but they haven't had milfoil until about three or four years ago. And then it's hit them bad. So they did not have it. And then they have it. Um, the other part of that is, yes, Lake Washington and the West Coast doesn't hasn't typically had milfoil if you look at it in like a like a hundred years span but they they have had it it's it's traveled birds pick it up carry it. it's on the bottom of boats it gets put in feed sometimes or something and some sort of one seed over 80 years so lake washington's had it uh, i will say it has gotten worse and the more you don't do anything about it it does get worse so like one of the things is hmm. yes milfoil does die in the winter so you could be like okay out of sight out of mind right yeah but if you do that year over year over year guess what happens 40 years later I don't know. You're the, the milfoil king. The, well, the plant grows and then it dies. So what happens to the, the, the dead, dead plant? It decomposes. And then you ever been in a lake that has a mucky bottom where your foot sinks one to two feet in and it's disgusting to step in? The milfoil. That's because over time, those plants have grown, died, and then decomposed and become that bottom layer. And then does that kind of stack up every year? And so it gets a little worse. So you lose year? your bottom time. And slowly mm-hmm. over time, you can have your property actually turn into a marsh, which is super un, un, undesirable. And this is where I, this is where I, 
once I realized this thing, this was kind of the, the turning point for me to be able to take this full time. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this is not just like a use and enjoyment. I mean, it, it is, but it's not. There's a bigger picture here where we can really influence and terraform environments on a long-term scale to really not maximize just what you're getting in a summer, but how your future generation, how your property value will translate over the next you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah, right now it might not be worth more, but if you keep this up, it's gonna be worth more than your neighbor who didn't do anything. Yeah, and I think that's a big unlock for me on the milfoil thing is that yeah. it starts with just like, okay, we wanna remove you know whatever this thing is at the bottom, but it's mm -hmm. really this much bigger issue of like managing your property mm -hmm. sort of in tune with the natural environment. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast. I think it's such a tangible example of that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's gonna get my kind of thesis of why I'm so mm -hmm. excited about the business you're in. And like, I think the potential is huge mm -hmm. for what you're building is because my kind of personal thesis is, let's say we get a little bit warmer here in the Pacific Northwest or climate climate change hits variability. Like we have A, this super invasive species that's just gonna keep spreading. B, we may have this tailwind of the natural environment mm -hmm. making it grow even faster, even crazier, you know, more radically different, surprising things happening to your lake every year. So I think that the people's desire to sort of get ahead of this, to, to mm -hmm. make sure they're doing things correctly and, and not thinking short-term, but thinking long-term about the way their property manages with the natural environment, I think it's a huge, huge trend. And you guys are scratching the surface on that. And so um, maybe you could describe a little bit how, about how you're expanding from just that milfoil, doing the bottom layer, and then what other services are you guys planning on sort of layering on top there? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, you know, a multi-stage effect, but essentially we really wanted to keep it simple. So we just did milfoil removal. That's just what, what our bread and butter was. It was like, hey, well, you have a plant, we know how to get rid of it, we can you know, do that. That was simple, it was straight up, straightforward. You know, after consulting with some experts and talking to people who know more than me, especially a couple of people who have limology degrees, which is the science of freshwater ecosystems, wow. uh, they kind of let us know what the other kind of interests are, because you know, these are people who have been studying this and doing this for way longer than we have, but it's not, but they never focus essentially on the physical removal or the, imp or the implication of actually providing solutions. I mean, they, they, they're more of the grassroots, like, hey, here is the study of this lake, here's what's potentially happening, and then here, give you back the research to happen. So basically, after talking with them, we discovered that we were able to do these bottom bears. So that was step two. Step three hmm. really is coming into contact with, hey, we you know got our first couple private lake contracts. Um, granted, we'd had a couple last year, uh, but after talking with experts, we didn't do the best job we could have. We re I realized that there was more solutions that we could have offered. And so, for instance, this year we had a couple where we're now reintroducing species of fish, different kinds of carp wow. or different kinds of other fish, and re actually reintroducing what reintroducing native plants to the environment. So we went in, removed the milfoil. You know, they said this has never been done. We, we literally filled this one lake. It was about 13 acres, and we filled a 10-ton garbage truck. Garbage truck, literally a city, city garbage truck full of this stuff. Um, and that was wow. just, just in six days. So we removed that, and then we're going back out and found these couple of native plants that we're gonna that we're reintroducing into the area we found what fish would help grow with those na native plants and then you know <laughs> this is kind of more funny but somehow now I'm in the endangered turtle business and I'm no now trying way. to yeah <laughs> so now I'm trying to procure a couple endangered western pond turtles uh, wow to and, go back and so and they're gonna get a yeah. new habitat so you're basically right. creating sort of removing all these invasive things mm -hmm. and trying to recreate the habitat that was there. Yeah. And it, uh, who's who's the customer in this? Where is this a private or you were saying the government is actually behind this? So this one this one's interesting. It's uh it's private. So the the customer is technically the Lake Bellevue Water Association. So it's like wow. a, it's basically a, it's a committee that formed to protect the the lake and the stakeholders that are in, interested in having a healthy lake environment. So this this use case is interesting, but it's not 
it's not so inter- it's not so niche that it's one of a kind. There are many of these out there. And I don't think that a lot of people on the boards of these committees know there are options like us to come in and do these ad hoc services. Like who knows who, I mean, there's not really a, a company out there that's gonna say, hey, we can get you an endangered pond turtle. That being yeah. said, I'm not saying I can, I can do that, but I'm saying if you want that, I'll follow the steps to figure out how to, how to get one for you. Yeah. Because we can then create the environment to not just help you and you know have a nice water outside your apartment, condo, office, restaurant, whatever it is, but also to kind of then create this environment for these species to come back and live. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the reason I like this example a lot is just because, one, I never thought I'd be in the turtle business. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but two, you know, like the Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, so this is all in Seattle, they, they actually have a program of repopulating areas with these endangered turtles. And no so, way. Yeah. So That's it's just such kind a of cool Moonshot Monday partnership. Yeah. Mil- Seattle Milfoil with the Seattle Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's broad strokes might be boring but once you dig dig into it it's like oh wait no we're literally terraforming freshwater environments for better that's so cool and that's such an awesome example of how i went on you with a a meeting or two Mm -hmm. how you seem to just kind of say yes and you're in the services business and i think that's such a key part of your success as a company like let's put the customer first like okay like what do they actually want to happen here Mm -hmm. like do you want me to remove the milfoil or do you want your lake to look great over the long term that's probably what you want so let's and, and by kind of figuring out your customers' needs, you've you spun your business model to kind of cater to those. Yeah. And so that has, I guess, been a big driver of this sort of terraforming business. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things is like your business card says like a Markman environment company or something like that. So <laughs> I'm curious if you could touch on a little more of that kind of vision of like, you know, where do you see that going? Because I think that's such an exciting, yeah. I don't even know what to call that business, the like re-terraforming thing, like mm-hmm. permaculture, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. But well, so the way I really see it and the way we kind of stage those business cards is because right now we're only really operating out of the milfoil king. But what I what I realized when we went the route this year is so, yeah, for this year we have a team of 13 divers growing every day or growing literally every week. Um, wow. I, 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 we host a monthly info session at the local dive technical school. So I'll be there in a couple of days just to kind of get like the, you know, first look at all the all the new classes. But the, the whole what I realized after or what really we realized after kind of going through this new thing is, you know, we only can hire certain commercial, commercially certified divers. So these guys have amazing skills. Like they can weld underwater, they can perform inspections, they can do things like, you know, drill, drill pipelines off the shores of Alaska, but we have them removing milfoil. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's right. So their, their skills are way under underutilized. So the whole thing with the Markman environments on the business card is that I, I see eventually you know, Markman environments might not be the name of the overall, but it, ultimately what that, what that symbolizes, at least to me, is that we're gonna be a house of brands. So it's not just that we're a branded house, but it's gonna be one company that has a ton of different brands, Milfoil King being one of the SKUs. Nice. Because that way we can then utilize, because at the end of the day, our company's goal is to get, to make sure that everyone gets, makes the most out of their freshwater environments, whether it be for recreational use or whether it be for overall environmental health, our goal is to facilitate that need. And mm-hmm. whatever and whatever that means, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. And right now it means milfoil, but in the future it will mean building docks. It will mean shorescaping. Wow. It will mean algae control and abatement, which is the thing we're getting into now. And it also will mean ship husbandry. Now, those things aren't as interesting as the milfoil, but I think what really is interesting is you have to take care of not only what your company goals are in the environment, but you also have to take care of your employees and the employees need year round work. So how do you make sure your employees are happy, satisfied, and you know, want to work here? They're not, you, you don't get employee satisfaction out of a seasonal business, it's just not a thing. So it's, I mean, so se- seasonal employees are always kind of jaded because they, they know that 
the end is close. There is an end in sight, and they got to figure it out. And, and my my goal is to keep a happy company with happy employees. And so you need to figure out what that is. And right now, that's kind of how we're branding it, and that's kind of how we see it. Because I think the real money, and I think not even the money, but the real positive benefit that we're going to have will be from the freshwater restoration company. But right now, we have to build out the year-round variability, or sorry, the year-round actual business to provide income for the employees. So we have to have a base that allows them to live before we can build on top of it to really then focus back on the environment. So while we start at the environment, I think we're going to be focusing a little bit more on ship husbandry and ship stuff like and kind of more quarterly required maintenance of stuff. But Mm -hmm. after we get that down, then we can really double down and circle back and say, hey, we are really an environmentally focused company. And here's what we care about. And here's why we care about. And here's what we're fired up about. Totally. And And that's kind of the platform for you guys to build on top of. And I think that's a really interesting competitive strength Mm because I don't know if we mentioned this, but you recently went full time on this, Mm -hmm. which I think is amazing. And so um, but just to see your kind of strategy in this very old entrenched industry where Mm -hmm. I think divers aren't really valued for how much like the kind of expertise and insight they can they can Mm -hmm. provide. And so you putting your employees first Mm -hmm. and sort of thinking about their needs seems to be like a sort of key key insight and unlock. Yeah, so I'm actually glad you brought that up because I know we discussed this off, but the thing, the real, the real thing is like, after working with real divers from the real industry, it's just it's a it's incredible to me how jaded, not jaded, but how backwards the industry really, really is. I mean, it's almost the horror stories I, I've heard from these from these these people are ridiculous. You know, obviously some of it's expected. You know, when you're drilling pipelines off of Alaska in the winter. You know, you're probably working in in a in a in a snowstorm or an ice storm, and it's probably you know 20 degrees, and you're probably underwater for a while, and that that all sucks, right? So that's part of the job. But what strikes me is that you're expected to work seven days a week for up to 14 weeks in a row, with literally maybe one or two days off in 14 weeks. I mean, I get it, you know, maximize it. But what I'm really learning is because those businesses are also semi-seasonal, and there is an off season. And so they have to work and push you so hard that people literally die just so you can work those seven weeks. And the thing is, like, yeah, they're, they're paid. People are paid reasonably well, but they also literally might die and they don't get to see their family. They don't have a work life balance. And so while that's not our, our competition, that mentality of what happens in the Alaskan pipelines gets translated back into Seattle diving. So diving That's kind of the culture happen. of the dive yeah. services companies. It's the culture. Of, and the industry. Right. And, and so rethinking that, yeah, sorry. No, you're all good. So, I mean, so I think just re, I think another <laughs> another value proposition besides, you know, the, the, the actual services is actually offering a healthy work-life balance employer-employee relationship. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I mean, that's how tech companies are doing it now. Yeah. And it's all, you've turned right. that into an advantage, yes. actually making their lives better is an advantage. Right. And really so cool. it's really interesting because we're, 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 we're naturally right now, we're naturally attracting top, top, top talent, which is super cool. I literally don't put out ads to get, get divers anymore. Yeah. If you go to my site, I have something that's because if you're interested, I want you to know what we have to offer, but there's no zip recruiter. I do go to the school, but besides that, people reach out to me wow. um, to try to get on, to try to get on the team because they've heard such positive things about it. So switching gears a little bit, let's. I want to get into sort of the business model and business plan of Seattle Milfoil mm-hmm. because that's like I love following the story in that regard, and <laughs> I think it's funny because I wish I could invest in the Seattle Milfoil King, or I think it's like, and those are the best companies, the ones that your friends start where they fund it all themselves and they don't let anyone invest. Those are usually the stories <laughs> you want to get into. So because so I'm a huge fan yep. um, of kind of like the way you've structured this, what mm-hmm. you were saying with your employees, like thinking about them, thinking about the customer, mm-hmm. um, and one of the most interesting projects you were telling me about is sort of 
of a new um, other vertical you're getting into besides just keeping the milfoil uh, cleared and, and mm -hmm. at bay for a while is also algae. This is mm -hmm. sort of a, another vertical. And uh, part of the reason I'm interested in this, because this is one of those, I would bucket this into like these unexpected landscape changes that are happening mm -hmm. that people don't really know why, but is a huge new problem that's impacting the quality, like value of the lake, right. uh, you know, your enjoyment out of it. And now they don't know who to call and there's mm -hmm. not that many companies. So they're basically calling you to figure out how to, how to deal with this. So I'm, I'm curious if you could expand a little bit on, on you know, what you guys are doing in the algae business and what you're seeing there. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so we discovered recently that uh, a big new new skew that's directly in line with our with our mission is uh, algae maintenance plans and algae treatment plans. So essentially algae is a excess amount of nutrients in a water column that is access to light. Generally, it's phosphorus and nitrogen. Yes, there are caveats to all of that, but generally it's those are the two, the, the, the three ingredients to create algae. Uh, the, the most common form of algae, uh, scientists were really creative this day, but it's called blue-green algae, and it can be blue wow. or green. Yeah, big, <laughs> exciting stuff there. And uh, essentially what, what it really is is it, it, it can blanket and cover an entire body of water and just kind of create this nasty, murky, shimmery, kind of glossy covering over it. And it's not nasty to look at. It's not toxic, It's but it's nasty to look at. And quite honestly, if you don't know anything about algae, like I'm sure all of you do are experts in it, but you know, it's it's not something you want to have. And so we've, we, we, what we've really discovered is that there are a bunch of, since kind of capital, capitalizing off of a trend of, of an industry I used to work for, but uh, I used to work in the apartment in industry and apartments are popping up everywhere. They're everything. Uh, and you know, that's just a growing um, section of the economy. More and more of these things have private lakes, private ponds, and detention systems um, that they want to look nice. And the thing is that, you know, especially when it's a detention system, you know, the definition of that is essentially all wastewater and runoff water go into one pond. So it scoops up everything off the lawns, wow. roads, and sidewalks. And so you can imagine that detention system might not look that great or it's not there's not a lot of control on the inputs that happen in the system. So a lot of times there is an excess amount of things in these systems. And so now yeah. we've really discovered that these bigger apartment, you know, REITs, owners in different groups not only have the budget but really want them to look beautiful. And the thing is you are helping the environment, even if it is a man-made environment, by clearing these algaes out. So we, we now have these these different teams and different solutions that no one else offers to really come out there and how do you get you know, out rid out. of algae from a lake? So there's a couple of different different met methods. It it basically involves a lot of uh, I don't want to say jerry rigged, but we basically take take different types of pump pump systems um, and use different types of filters to really you know extract all of it out while keeping all of the water there. So essentially, it's like a we have these brigades of boats that'll go across, depending on how big your lake is, obviously. Mm -hmm. Cross your legs a boat and just kind of pump all the algae out. That being said, too, you can also use different kinds of nets. And, you know, you can swing nets between different, you know, different boats. And you can use them to really gather everything up. But the really cool part is, is and this is why a lot of the companies like us a lot, is just simply because, you know, we work with the already with the maintenance team that's already there, the landscaping team. And, and you know, if you know anything about landscaping, phosphorus and nitrogen, while not so great in your body of water, it's great for your lawn. Hmm. So we can really take these, what's a negative externality in the water, and make it, and if we, you take it out of the water, dry it out, you can actually mulch it for your front lawn, and it's great wow. food. Turning the algae into actually an asset. Yeah. And so I, I briefly awesome. want to touch on that. Is that something, 
I'm sh- like maybe a little too early in your business model yet, but like mm-hmm. when I was at that site at the marina, mm-hmm. like you guys are removing like literally bags and bags and pounds and pounds of this milfoil mm-hmm. with most jobs. So, you yeah. know, at some point that could be an, could you turn that into an asset rather than just, you know, sort of recycling it? Yes, I will. I will, I will say that's kind of two different things. What you saw was milfoil and lily pads being pulled out. And mm-hmm. at that site we did remove over, we did remove 3,800 pounds in two days. Wow. Um, so just kind of give you the scale. One day was 2,000 pounds. From a boat marina. That was pretty cool. Like you yeah. go, you go in the boat marina and you literally see the part that yeah. was undone. I could see just piles and piles of milfoil and the part that, and it looks like you could. It's a, it's a, yeah. night, it's, it's a night and day difference. Night so one day of those things yeah. you're just like, wow, I can't believe you've, they've never done this before. Yeah. It looks so overrun. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting with that one too, and not to dig too deep into that one, but it, it, what it, what happens is, you know, they're built on the inlet of a lake and there's a natural stream that inputs into the lake there. And if you know anything about stream morphology, you know, there's something called a delta and a delta is where, you know, the water runoff hits. And so over time, this marina is losing bottom because of the sediment being brushed in from the stream. They also have never dealt with their plants. So they have the organic material growing and decaying every year, like we talked about earlier. And a combination of that, you literally are losing, losing feet to your marina. So not only is the apartment complex losing uh, rentable income based upon the mortgages they're allowed to use, but the people who are using the marina are low key pissed off <laughs> that yeah. there's milfoil in, in their slip. So it's like, so we are, we by using our services that we are literally allowing them to keep spaces open because some of them are only at four to five feet deep. And if it gets any, if the bottom rises up at all, some of those spots, they will ground those boats and then they'll have to deal with the owner. Wow. And so by using us, not only does the boat user get a nicer marina but the marina itself is more attractive to potential users and you get to keep that 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 income flow up and so i wonder if like you know on one hand this is a huge opportunity mm-hmm. the bigger the problem the bigger the opportunity it's yeah. one of my favorite phrases in business so i feel like it's a huge opportunity <laughs> yeah. that this problem is getting worse for you like there's a huge business waiting to be built to mm-hmm. solve this problem but do you ever get the sense that it's almost unmanageable like you know what i mean like how do you hire you know tens and tens of divers to go on removing like are you just running uphill or how do you think about like the pacific northwest as a whole and being able to manage these, you know, is is it a reality that you can put the turtle there and, and you know, actually set up at least pockets of real sort of mm-hmm. back to natural ecosystem? Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, the short the short answer is yes, but the, I think the, I think the real, the real the real <laughs> crux of your of the equation is, hey, how do you maintain quality? How do you maintain actual quality of work while expanding? Because um, it's one thing to say yes to everything and then not deliver. It's another thing to say yes to everything hire a team and then not have a trained team. Yeah, so I like think to the, every, pro, like you wanna do every project right and make sure yeah. it lasts kind of. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of, in your industry, like short term, it can look really good short term, but mm-hmm. maybe we put in a chemical or. Yes, so there's a lot. So hopefully anyone out there listening, if you live on the waterfront and your uh, homeowners association sprayed a herbicide, that's a very short-term thought and very short-term thinking. There's a reason the herbicide change, it changes every two years. It's not because the plants grow immune. It's because we discovered a negative externality that it affected the environment in a yeah, negative way. Like, oh, whoops, all those fish died. Whoops, whoops. let's switch yeah. to the next one. Right. Wait and, to see what that kills. Right. So They should hire you instead. Exactly. Right, plug over. <laughs> right. So, you know, besides that being a real and, you know, a very real and valuable plug, the thing is it's true. And, you mm-hmm. know, the thing is they might be one fourth the cost and I'm not trying to justify why we're more expensive, but the reason is just that, you know, we're really thinking long-term and we really have those long-term solutions. But to kind of answer Gally's question is, so the crux of how do you provide a real valuable solution while expanding it's training. And I've been fortunate enough to have a team that really takes safety and training seriously. So we are a dive, our dive supervisor, he has developed a training book that kind of goes over skills, goes over, 
you know, valuable situations. And then we also have a plant I, I, I deep booked, not just, you know, not just work on safety and training skills that way, but also work on our biology and what's going on in the environment. So not wow. only do but we like have everyone's divers, a mini scientist too. Right. Right. Cause the thing is, I'm not down at every site. That'd be foolish to think I, I would be, or someone else that is, is. So we need to have everyone at least have tertiary knowledge. So part of it is back to the thing I talked about earlier, but it's about employee retention. It's about having that. And so how do you do that? You create an environment where everyone's always learning and growing. One of the first things I say when I, when we hire someone or when we kind of uh, interview them is like, hey, it's foolish for us to think you're gonna stay here the rest of your life. So how do we, how do we make you a more valuable person and skilled diver for when you leave, mm-hmm. right? Like obviously I'd like them to stay forever, right? That would be the best case scenario, but we all know that's not the case. You haven't been at your company forever and nor should you be. So the best thing we can do is that make you to make you happy and more valuable is to train you. So we have a whole course of just normal dive skills because there's a whole hierarchy in the commercial dive industry of things you need to learn and then prove that you've learned them. Mm-hmm. So we have these books that you turn off, we do monthly trainings, so there's that. But then it's also, hey, when you're also engaging in these training exercises, it makes you more engaged in the company. It makes you more feel feel part of it. And you're also learning. And I don't know, at least for me, stagnation scares me. And I'm assuming it scares a lot of people more than they may not, they may not re- realize. So it's how do we stimulate that stagnation? And I think it totally relates to as long as we're all, you know, I'm in the water industry, so a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So as, <laughs> as long as we're all rising, it's like, how yeah. do we grow together? And I think that's how we maintain quality. That's how we maintain culture. And that's how we maintain um, client goal success. And I think that's really is, is the whole key to finding a long-term good solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want the also to move back more to like the milfoil industry mm-hmm. example. Like, you know, the way I think about this is there could be you know, maybe 50,000 homes, let's say this total guess, but Mm -hmm. each of them has five or $10,000 worth of, you know, milfoil or annual budget that they Mm -hmm. should be spending on their lakefront to keep it, you know, properly managed. Like, is this something that you foresee being able to like solve this problem, Mm -hmm. you know, all yourself or, or, um, I guess I'm not doing a good job at phrasing it. I guess I just sort of what's like the potential market for yeah, milfoil removal services. A, what's the potential market? And the other thing I was trying to get to is that sometimes I see like these lakes and I'm like, I feel like there's no chance we're actually going to be able to solve this problem. Like mm-hmm. it's just going to keep getting worse and worse every year. And even if we remove the milfoil, like we're not creating a sustainable solution. So I don't, I don't know. Do you ever you're, run you're, into you're that? You're asking, is there like a, like a surgery we could do to fix entire ecosystem versus just putting a bandaid on, on, yeah. on the wound? Yeah. Or just like, do we have hope? I don't know. Cause when I go in the, the lake every year, it's like, there's more and more algae. So I'm kind of just curious, yeah. like, do you think that'll ever be solved or is this just a consistent problem? Well, it's a funny way to say it. I mean, you could, you could definitely solve it. There's the, you know, the question comes up is how much time, how much money is it going to, going to, going to take? Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't, I don't think in the short term there's a time or budget that we could use to solve the problem. But I think if we really think long term and, and each of us, you know, each of each of the individual homeowners, if each of them takes one step, you know, we're, we're at least closer. And maybe if each of them takes one step every year and more keep joining in the march, then eventually we're all part of a movement that does gain speed eventually. Mm-hmm. While right now I think it's a losing battle because change does seem to be happening faster than we can fix it. I don't think long, I think long term, that'd be a poor way to think. And I think it would not necessarily be healthy for one, the business, but two, the, 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 really the important part here is the in, in environment. So I think one, one of our kind of an internal house sayings is, you know, the, make the world a better place, one waterfront at a, at a time. And I think the more people that take that seriously, um, you know, the better chance we have of actually figuring out some solutions to save these bodies of water and to make sure that they are healthy 
going forward. I love that analogy, like one waterfront at a time. And yep. that's sort of the business you guys are in essentially is mm -hmm. selling a solution for your waterfront yeah. to, to every single customer. Well, I, I think the, the important value proposition, you know, you know, you always get like those kind of jokey marketing things now where it's like, oh, you have to be part of a solution or you have to be like, there has to be a, be a cause for it. And I think the one good thing with what we do is there's two things. There's a literal value. You can now use your waterfront. So the $2 million home you'd pay, you can spend less than 0.01% of the overall house value to really use and enjoy the waterfront, which is why you bought that house to begin with. So for yeah. less than 1% of the value, you know, you're getting back what you bought. Like that's your yeah. asset, you don't have it. So there's that real tangible value, but then mm -hmm. also you can also relate to the fact that's, hey, you are helping over overall, the overall ecosystem by doing your part of that. So there's really, it's kind of, you, you can be selfish without being selfish here. And so it's kind of goes to both, both, both hands. And I think that part really, really plays big and rings true for a lot of our customers. Yeah, and I think it's all about thinking longer yeah. term. Like we, there was one study that I sent you that we came uh -huh. across that said, potentially a huge decrease in home values mm -hmm. uh, along the waterfront if there's a significant milfoil problem. Yeah, definitely. And so it seems like there's actually starting to be data to back up. And I think, of course, the data is gonna lag mm -hmm. the actual technology and the value it provides, but the data is starting to back up that if you wanna like have your home and sell it 20 or 30 years later, like you yeah. should be really thinking about how to manage its impact on its environment. If the lake gets ruined because there's algae and no one can use it, then mm -hmm. the value of your home is gonna tank. So I think it's, it's, I think that's the kind of encouraging part for me mm -hmm. is there's actually a real incentive for people to start doing this. And it's really, your business is really just a bet on people getting educated mm -hmm. about how to do this the right way. Um, and then I think you have the huge climate tailwind at your back. So that's mm -hmm. that's so, so exciting. It's, it's definitely a lot of fun. And the funny thing is you sent me that study and I still haven't gone through it yet, but I'm not surprised because I've been saying that and it, you know, I'm, at first maybe I thought just because, you know, I'm a real estate person. So that's how I, that's how I always thought about it. It was like, hey, how do we get a real long-term you know, net positive value for your personal net net worth, right? Like that's always like a good pitch to anyone. Yeah. But the thing is, it's really, really true. And it's funny because maybe people just didn't, maybe the, you know, the internet really allowed for information to be more free free flowing and people to figure this out. But people have lived around waters for, waterfronts for a while, but for some reason, no one's ever thought about the fact that, you know, I just spent two mil on this house and you're, you're just telling me that the milfoil takes up the entire water, water column. Yeah. Like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, you mean I can't swim this? Like, you mean my? I have to listen to my grandkids complain every year. I bought this beautiful home, and you're telling me they don't go in there because of the icky things. Like, yeah. I, I just don't understand how that's not part of the broker side of the broker knowledge. And so, like, one thing we've been doing is we've we've actually had one person reach out, but I've I've reached out to a couple of them, a couple uh, um, boutique residential brokerage firms to you know kind of say, hey. Like you sell these waterfront houses, people don't know what's going into waterfront properties. Like for instance, you know, the economy is doing great. There's more rich people now than there have been. Granted, it's still the 1%, but you know, that's the ones who's buying it. So that's what we care about. And at the same time, it's like, they don't know what it takes to run a waterfront house. So, you know, another one of our sayings stay in house, I tell people a lot is, you know, hey, we're your one-stop waterfront shop. Anything you need to know about your waterfront, let us know. Because the thing is, if you don't take care of it, you can turn into a marsh. So you could have just bought a marsh if you don't take take care of it. Do you yeah. want a marsh? And everything's related, like, you know? Yeah. It's like not just the milfoil. It's the whole, it's the whole kind ecosystem. of ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty crazy. I mean, and so I think down the road, as more people kind of learn about this, it's still going to be a niche problem. Like, let's not pretend it's not going to be. I mean, again, the, I don't really have a – my our, our demographic is kind of interesting because it's not necessarily, you know, we don't really need brand awareness for everyone. We just need people who have these – properties or people who aren't part of HOAs or people 
own these apartment buildings to kind of know that there are these services out there. And so I think as soon as, you know, as kind of knowledge grows, you know, there goes our opportunity as well. But I think there's a huge opportunity in getting in with uh, brokerages as well. Yeah. And I think even though you yeah. say it's a niche, I don't really think it's that much of a niche mm-hmm. because I see almost every building in the future taking or requiring some sort of like environmental impact plan mm-hmm. or like what is what are what's our part of the ecosystem? How are we? And there'll be a budget for that. Mm-hmm. And I think those are budgets that oh, don't exist. And it's because there's actually be an ROI. Yeah. So that's kind of why I w- wanted to have you on the podcast. It's so exciting is like. I feel like it's a billion dollar industry that doesn't exist yet, but I can see is about to exist. And those are the billion dollar industries you want to probably get involved with, you mm-hmm. know, or like <laughs> it's, it doesn't exist yet, but I think in the future, it'll be yeah. crazy that you bought a lakefront house and didn't think about how to manage your impact mm-hmm. on the environment. And there wasn't a report, official report of that lake for what they were doing with all the species. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's like, like the, the amount of data that people have on their natural environment and surroundings is just seems so, so limited to what it will be in the next 10 to 15 years. And then I think that creates so much business opportunity for the Milfoil company and, and expanding into all these services. So I know you probably won't disclose any financials for the Milfoil company, but I can definitely say it's a lot bigger than HyperChange probably. But I think it's well, such- I don't know about that. We, <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't make it on the Tesla earnings call, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, we're- But, we're but my well. question was mm-hmm. kind of like, what, you know, you're a smart guy. You left your job in real estate, doing really well there. You've been growing this for 10 years. Like you seem to think that this, this can get a lot bigger and it's exciting and it's worth your time and there's a big opportunity there. So I'm curious, just as sort of like an entrepreneur, like what do you see there? Why is it worth your time? Well, I mean, it's really exciting to be completely honest. Like I, I, I to be slightly too transparent maybe, I, you know, I never really saw myself like, you know, I always saw myself as doing something entrepreneurial, but I never saw it being green, green focused specifically. Yeah, I've always loved the environment. You know, you you, you have to as a scuba diver. You know, I I love, always love going out, going on hikes, scuba diving, seeing things out there. But I never thought I would do this. And as, as soon as I started working for, I was working for a company where we, are one of our clients. I'm not gonna name any names. You know, uh, you know they only get fined a couple couple half trillion dollars every other year by some government, and we're we're building spaces for them. And just to see like these, this amount of opulence being treated so poorly by the by the end by the end stakeholder, like it just pissed me off. Like I didn't like I, we were building the coolest spaces and like the users just like didn't care. There was no like there's no appreciation for what went into them. We you wow. know we'd hire these amazing architects and not to complain about it, but like they would do really cool shit. <laughs> and so, uh, and then here, for instance, what we get to do is we get to go to these beautiful properties. And so it's still, it's still at least a little bit of tangible real estate for me, but at the same time, we get to go to these beautiful properties, be outside and we get to literally terraform environments for better. It's just, it's really exciting. It's a lot of fun. And also, you know, I get to be a turtle broker. You know, so what other cool. industry gets to broker Western pond turtles? It's so cool. Like, it's just like, it's, it's always changing. It's always different. And you know, it's also a lot of fun to say yes to things and like, quite honestly, not have any idea how to do it and then being able to figure out how to do it. So right. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's me. such a funny business because it's like yeah. the amount of people who are just going to want to call you up and be like, hey, this is happening to myself. I don't know where to go. Like, I feel like it's the sweet spot of like a tidal wave of just sort yeah. of like incoming stuff. And like, like you said, you're literally giving them this amazing solution. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I say the, the other un- unexpected part I didn't really realize was it's really cool to provide like. So we we do pay above average for what would be a considered applicable uh, you know a, a applicable dive job. Um, we and we do pay more, and so we do have a higher employee satisfaction. And I have to say, providing a living wages for people 
is a great feeling. And I, I just love the fact that we're able to kind of work together as a team, not only help the environment, but kind of help each other. It's kind of like a little community and it's a lot of fun. So it's, yeah, it's really so cool awesome. to, to be, awesome. a, be, a, be a part of. And on the flip side of that, the one the thing I wanted to really end with was the robot idea. And this is like a moonshot <laughs> that we've discussed of yeah. like creating a robot to like help these projects and expand it. Something yeah. that like your divers could like deploy. Mm-hmm. Essentially a little guy that crawls along the bottom and collects the milfoil for you. Like is that, I, I just think that's such a funny like kind of way that this really yeah. manual labor business, you think about tech, robotics, automation, down the line, I feel like it's less replacing humans, but more augmenting what your team yeah. can do and you being able to take on much bigger projects, being able to clear lakes for a much cheaper cost in a much quicker time, much more efficiently, make it much easier to mm-hmm. tackle these problems. So like, what do you think about the, the underwater milfoil robot? Is that something we're gonna see in next year, 2025, 2030? Would it? <laughs> let's, just, let's just put a 2023 on it, you know? Um, 2023 on it? 2023. Okay. Elon let's, deadline, let's, Elon time? Yeah, let's, like, <laughs> let's be realistic though. You know, 2023, I think we can get it done. I mean, here's the thing. I was actually looking into a, a underwater drone earlier this week. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, the thing's got a 4K camera, you know, it can dive at 200 feet. It's got a little ro- robotic arm that comes up and pick things out. But the wow. reason why I thought it was really cool was because, you know, obviously we're going to get into pylon inspections and boat inspections. And you need 4K video for that. Uh-huh. But the real cool thing is uh, you could take the arm off and uh, put like a sonar radar on there. So we can start doing environmental surveys of depths and surveying what's underneath there with higher tech equipment. Wow. Like literally using radar and sonar to try to try to do these things. And That's so I was so thinking cool. like, what if we just put, you know, a hacksaw at the end, a little hacksaw blade and, you know, a spinning spinning bit or a, a, a spinning blade. We'd go down and start cutting things with with, 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 with this robot. Wow. No, but I, I think the realistic ro- robot opportunity is, is, is somehow building some sort of Roomba. Like, you know, you, ha- you already have yeah, your, 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 your lawn mowing Roomba. Yep. And I, there's, there's literally no reason why that couldn't exist for uh, milfoil or invasive species. That, that, that being, if you've seen any of those videos with the, with the, with the robot in the, Gallagher, you can help me on this one, but the, you know, the agricultural robot where they, have the, they do the row planting and instead of sending weeders out to go de-weed the field, they have this robot that's like six feet tall and drives above it and it wow, uses a camera. Yeah, well they individually pick out each weed. Wow. And the thing is that the, they run every day because they're powered by solar. So there's no cost that goes into it, and they get the plant when it's young, when it's just starting to bud. So that way, the cost it drives cost down. It's weeding continuously, so you never miss anything. And there's no reason why there couldn't be a version of that for un- it just like deploys well. for the lake for the whole lake, like it's constantly yeah. foiling. So I think wow. the, the opportunities there is either a sell them to re- build it. Obviously, got to build it first, but sell it to residential users as an individual property line situation. Sell it to communities and or sell the ser- sell the product the service as a subscription to cities and uh, local HOAs and mar- marinas because wow. that way they can continuously stay fresh, healthy, and, you know, milfoil free while, you know, also having an updated fleet of robots. So cool. Every yeah. company is like a tech company. It's yeah. so exciting. It has to be. I mean, um, it has to be. Dude, if I could invest in one milfoil company, it would totally be the milfoil king. Oh, so. sounds great. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on, Joe. This was an awesome podcast. I learned so much. I hope you guys learned. Like, I love, there was a mini documentary we mm-hmm. shot last summer, so I'll put a link in the description where we went out to a site, ton of awesome yeah. footage there, but Love to catch up next summer, get an update for everyone because I know you'll, you'll be on to much bigger, better things. But um, any last minute shout outs for the Hyper Changers yeah. any, anywhere they can find you? Of course. Well, milfoilking.com, obviously. Uh, but really, though, if, you, uh, if you're if you part of a community that has any freshwater lake restorations, we are establishing 
traveling teams starting next week. So really let us know, reach out, say you have a solution, say you have a problem, we have a solution. Freshwater, lakefront, all of it, we do it. Just let us know. So you guys are expanding beyond Seattle, take note. We, we, we will be the east to west milk oil brand. That being said, we're, we're, we're going slowly and it's on, it's on purpose. So reach awesome. out to us if you wanna if you want us to come out to your to, to your city. No fucking. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Appreciate thank you, it. Peace. <laughs>